Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26 is where we are at this morning. God's Word says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord and a word of prayer. Father, now we come before you and are in need of your help. This is a tremendous passage. It's a word of good news. And I pray, Lord, that we would all, each of us, receive this word of good news, that you would truly help us to have faith in what is being described for us here, that our hope would firmly rest in Christ alone. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In August of 1945, Louis Zamperini had been an American POW in Japan for over two years two very long years. He had been captured by the Japanese after surviving his plane being shot down in the ocean and then spending 47 days on a life raft. And he then spent two uh, long years being a prisoner of war in Japan. And the 28-year-old's body weight had dropped to a mere 75 pounds. And if there was one thing that was clear to Louis and the rest of the American POWs in his camp, it is that they weren't going anywhere. Uh, they weren't getting out. Their situation was hopeless. And the Japanese prison camp commander reminded them of that almost every day. And their only hope was something outside of themselves, a power outside of themselves that that the American army would invade Japan and be able to set them free. But of course, they were told over and over again by their captors that the Americans were being defeated, that the Americans were, were running away, that they were fleeing. But one day in late August of 1945, the call went out for all the prisoners to assemble in the courtyard and the camp commander got up in front of all the prisoners and announced to them that the war had ended. And that was all he said. Louis and the other POWs did not know what to think. Most didn't trust what they were hearing. They certainly knew better than to respond with any outward showing of joy or even to smile. But later that day, while the prisoners were allowed to bathe in a river just outside of the prison camp, an American airplane flew just overhead of them several times, and the pilot communicated to them by flashing a light in Morse code 
telling them that the war indeed was over and Japan had surrendered. Well then, the men began to celebrate. They immediately lost all fear of the prison guards. And in the book uh, Unbroken, author Laura Hillenbrand describes the reaction of Louis Zamperini. In the midst of the running, celebrating men, Louis stood on wavering legs, emaciated, sick, and dripping wet. In his tired mind, two words were repeating themselves over and over. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Well, from chapter 1, verse 18, through the first half of chapter 3 in Romans, the Apostle Paul has left us in a hopeless situation. Much like Louis Zamperini and the other American POWs. In the passage we focused on last week, uh, verses 1 through 20 um, of chapter 3, we ended up in front of the judgment in God's court of law, and we were all found guilty of breaking God's law and therefore condemned before God without any hope of being able to make ourselves right in the eyes of God by works of the law, for no human being will be justified in God's sight. So God's message regarding each of us is that we were born in sin, and that we are all guilty of sin, which is rebellion against God, who is our creator, the, the one who has ultimate sovereign power and authority over our lives, and who is holy, righteous, and pure, and hates sin. We were made for him, we were made to serve him, to glorify him, but instead, we have been at war with him. We have sought our own glory rather than his. And we all know this about ourselves. We know this about humanity. I mean, what, what Louis Zamperini and the other POWs experienced in Japan was just another example that there is something deeply wrong with humanity. We're all enslaved to sin and the consequences of our sinful condition. That is condemnation before God to suffer his wrath. And there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. And here in our verses this morning, Paul reveals the good news of how we can be saved. He reveals the good news of how we can all be set free of how sinners like you and me can be justified before God and redeemed from our slavery to sin. And it is all due to something God himself has accomplished for us. So our main theme from these verses is that God has graciously made a way for sinners to be justified through faith and not by obedience to his commands. Now, when uh, Martin Luther translated the Bible into the German language for the people to be able to read it for themselves, he put a note in the margin of his translation of these very verses, which read, Take heed to what is here. 
It is the central and most important passage of the epistle, and indeed, the entire scripture. A more, a more uh, contemporary Bible teacher, uh, Leon Morris, who died in uh, 2006, agreed with Luther, and even went further saying this. He said, this is possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. And Paul's main concern here in this paragraph is to show how God can forgive sinners and declare them to be righteous before him and still remain just himself, still remain righteous himself. So it is all about our justification before God. That will be our focus here. And I was helped by, by several Bible teachers in, in studying this passage. Um, and my outline was heavily influenced by pastor and author uh, John Stott. So that's where I'm kind of getting the outline from. Um, and we're, inter- we're first introduced then to, the, to justification, the main theme in verses 21 and 22. So the heading over that is a justification apart from obedience to the law. And then secondly, we'll be shown our need for justification in verse 23. And then the source of our justification in verse 24. And the ground of our justification in verses 24 through 26. And finally, the means of our justification, verse 22, and then 25 and 26 as well. So first, a justification apart from obedience to the law, verse 21 and 22. I'll read it again. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. When we were in chapter 1, I told you back then that we would have to focus on the bad news about our condition before we get to the good news. The focus of the bad news of our fallen condition, uh, our, 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 our sin, that lasted from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. It lasted for 63 verses. It was meant to humble us, to reveal to us the awful and terrible condition that we are in as sinners and rebels against God and under his just condemnation. And it is the condition of a vast amount of people in our world today. Many of them we know and love. It may even be the condition that you are in if your hope of being accepted by God at the judgment is simply you're a good enough person. You've done enough good things. You've, you've gone to church. Or at least you've tried to make sure you've not done the really bad things. Well, Paul's conclusion in chapter 3, verse 10 was, None is righteous. No, not one. And then verse 20, By works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. That is, by what you can do in obedience, by what you can do in doing, trying to do good things, none of it will justify you in God's sight. You can't do it. We should all be, be so very grateful that Paul was not yet finished writing. For he says now, Verse 21, but now, but now. 
This marks a most wonderful transition, a dramatic turning point in the letter from the darkness of our sin and guilt to the brightness and the glory of the good news of the gospel. But is, of course, the transition word. And then now is an emphatic adverb that strengthens the force of what Paul is about to declare. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested or has been revealed. That is, something has occurred, a demonstration that God has done in order to justify sinners or to declare them righteous before him. That is the righteousness of God that Paul is referring to here. God has made a way apart from the law or without obedience to his commandments for sinners like you and I to be declared not guilty and righteous before him. And that event has to do directly with Jesus Christ. As verse 22 tells us, for it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So this refers to the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the manifestation of the righteousness of God. That was the event that displayed for all with eyes to see how God is now able to justify sinners, to declare them righteous before him apart from any obedience to the law. That is the surprising and wonderfully good news of the gospel. That is how guilty sinners can be set free. And it's surprising because it was something that was, that was not expected. When it occurred, God's people, who were very familiar with the scriptures, didn't look at what was happening to Jesus on the cross and say, Hey, finally, this is it. This is how God's going to save us. They didn't do that. And yet, as Paul notes, the Old Testament scriptures, or as, as Paul refers to them as the law and the prophets, he says they bear witness about it. That is, what is written in the Old Testament does point to Christ in so many ways. When we read the Old Testament now, we know exactly what Paul is, is referring to here. And the book of Acts tells us that Paul, over and over again, demonstrated from the scriptures, that is from the Old Testament, that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ. So from the bruising of the heel of the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15 to the Passover in Exodus to the Day of Atonement and the sacrificial system to the suffering servant that we're told about in Isaiah 53, the law and the prophets were bearing witness of how God would one day justify sinners who put their faith in Jesus. And still today, we continue to bear witness. We continue to testify and point back to how the righteousness of God was manifested apart from the law. Secondly, in verse 23, we see our need for justification. Again, uh, justification is to be declared righteous before God. And verse 23 shows us why we all desperately need it. So, chapter 3, verse 23, better get to the right page here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
All are sinners. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentiles. All, all are sinners. All people without, ex- without exception, no matter what family, what religious background, nice people, mean people, rich people, poor people, those who seem to have it all together, and those who don't, all are sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All stand guilty before God. And here in verse 23, Paul uses the past tense, have sinned, pointing to sins people have committed in the past, as well as all people in history prior to Jesus' saving work on the cross. They all have sinned. And Paul here is looking back at sins committed beforehand. And then Paul also includes a verb with the present and continuing sense, and fall short. And fall short of the glory of God. So with this, Paul is acknowledging that we still sin and will continue to sin. We will continue to fall short of living for and bringing honor to the glory of God. We will miss the mark that God has set for us. We will habitually fall short of the glory and excellence of God's righteousness with our thoughts, with our words, with our actions and attitudes. And that is why we are all in such desperate need of justification to be declared righteous because we can't make ourselves righteous. We are all in great need of the saving work of Christ in order to be justified before God. You have sinned, Paul says, and you will continue to sin and fall short of the person God made you to be. Therefore, you are in great need of this justification that God has made possible, as we see next. Verse 24 and 25, the source of our justification. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So verse 24 tells us we are justified by his grace as a gift. And then verse 25 makes clear whose gift we are receiving. It makes clear just who was the one, who is the source Behind it all, it is God the Father. The one whose wrath and condemnation our sins deserve, he is, as one pastor put it, the chief architect and source of our redemption. It's God. Paul has emphasized to us over and over again that our justification before God cannot be earned by us, not by our obedience to God's law, not by our participation in any religious ceremonies that we might go through, not by our genuine attempts to be good or at least better people. We cannot earn it. And one of the ways that I remind myself of the gospel and meditate on its wonderful truths is by reading the lines of great gospel hymns in my uh, devotional time. Um, One of those hymns I came across this week by Horatius Bonar, Um, describes the gospel this way. He says, Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. 
Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy grace alone, O God, to me can pardon speak. Thy power alone, O Son of God, can this sore bondage break. No other work save thine, no other blood will do. No strength save that which is divine can bear me safely through. So it has to be a gift of God's grace, a completely undeserved gift that God himself has chosen to give to those without any merit of their own, without anything they could point to to show that they've deserved it. Our being declared righteous is something that can only be received. Received with joy and thanksgiving. And not earned or deserved. When, when we sing of grace, as we often do, we are singing about this completely undeserved gift of forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, and justification that God has provided for such awful, undeserving wretches like ourselves. And the source of the gift, the source of this grace, the source of our justification is God himself, whom God put forward as a propitiation. As we have heard, he is a God who holds sinners in judgment, who has revealed his wrath against sinners, who have refused to honor him, and who have suppressed the truth by their unrighteousness and ungodliness. We are shown that in chapter 1. But he is also a God of immeasurably great love and mercy. Immeasurably great love and mercy. That is who God is. He's filled with compassion. He's willing to do all that it takes to rescue sinners like us from such a horrible destiny of facing his wrath and judgment in hell. As we know from most uh, from the most well-known verse in all the Bible, he is a God that so loved the world, that is, unworthy sinners like you and me, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We can ask, why me? Why would God give his son for me? Why would he give his son for the church, for his wayward people? And the answer the Bible provides is he's done it because he so loved us. Why did he love us? Not for anything we've done to make him love us. He loved us because he loved us. God is love. He is the source of our justification. He has shown his love to what he's done for us through Jesus Christ. And then we look at the ground of our justification, verses 24 through 26, the ground of our justification. Again, verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, that is the blood of Christ, to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just 
and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God, the holy, righteous judge of all the earth, justifies sinners freely by his grace. But how can he do this? How can it be right for God to do this? How can it make sense for the Lord to forgive sin and declare the guilty righteous before him and still be just, still be righteous? Or as Paul puts it in chapter 4, verse 5, how can God justify the wicked? In the Old Testament scriptures, we are told in several places that it is completely unjust for anyone to justify the wicked, to say that the, the wicked are righteous. In Deuteronomy 25, verse 1, the Lord instructs Israelite judges that they must only acquit the innocent and they must condemn the guilty. And then in an even more striking language, we read in Proverbs 17, 15, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the same words are used in Proverbs 17.15 for something that God hates, that's, about, that's an abomination to him, as we find in Romans 4.5 that I just quoted for something that God does, that God justifies the wicked. So how can God declare sinners like you and me to be righteous? How can this be possible and God remain just and good? This is why we must take a close look at the ground or the basis of our justification in these verses. These verses tell us that the ground for this justification is found in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Verse 24 refers to it. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It was through Christ that God can redeem sinners. That is, that he can purchase or pay a price for those who were enslaved. Those who were held in bondage to sin. Christ's ministry set us free from our guilt for not obeying the law as well as our sinful nature, which leads us to turn away from the Lord and, and do the things that, that we most desire, which are, are wicked and against his will. Just over a month ago, we, we celebrated the coming of the Son of God into the world, the birth of Jesus, and here we see the reason why God sent his Son into the world, to save sinners like us, to be our redemption from sin, to do the work, to make the way, for you and I to be brought back to God, to be set free. And next in verse 25, we are told that Christ Jesus is the one whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Since Christ's blood is mentioned, here we know that, that that's directly referring to the cross of Christ, the shedding of his blood in his crucifixion and his death. Propitiation may be an unfamiliar word to us, and, and that's unfortunate because it is of tremendous importance to our salvation and to understanding why the gospel is such good news. Propitiation refers to just what the Son of God was doing in his death on the cross. He was propitiating God, the Father, on our behalf. 
he was representing God's elect, God's people, who were all guilty of sin and unrighteousness for us before God on the cross. He was our substitute there, our substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. This is why he was truly man himself, so he could fully represent sinful man before God. He then paid the price for our sins. He satisfied God's just wrath against us by laying down his own life. He was our wrath absorber who stopped God's divine anger from coming upon us for our sins by taking it all upon himself. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he, that is God, made him, that is Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, that is Jesus never sinned, he was perfectly righteous before God, so that in him, that is in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. The ground of our justification was this work of propitiation by Christ for us on the cross. He was our propitiation. Not anything we have done or could do, it is all Christ, the Lamb of God, who, is take, who takes away the sin of the world. Again, back to uh, Bonar's hymn, uh, Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. I bless the Christ of God. I rest on love divine. And with unfaltering lip and heart, I call this Savior mine. His cross dispels each doubt. I bury in his tomb my unbelief and all my fear, each lingering shade of gloom. On the cross, the love of God and the judgment of God come together. They meet. They, they kiss, as one scholar put it. God can justify the ungodly because he judged the sins of all of his people, those whose sins he passed over in his divine forbearance, it says, before Christ died for sins, and those who have sinned after the cross as well, and those who will continue to sin like us. So can God justify the wicked and still be righteous? He can, and he has, through the death of Christ on the cross. There at the cross, the sins of King David were judged. Moses' sins were judged. Jacob's sins were judged. There all the sins of God's elect from prior to the cross were judged, as well as ours after the cross. God was able to forgive and pass over the sins of all of his elect people prior to the cross, and now after the cross, by judging them all there, in Christ, in his suffering on the cross. So God is holy and completely just and will judge every sin of all mankind in the history of the world and he will either judge them at the great day of judgment still to come or they have already been judged in Christ on the cross. It's the only way we can be saved. The only way God could justify sinners and declare the guilty to be righteous and still be considered just. Because the sinless Savior died, 
my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. The cross is the ground of our justification. But what is the means, or, or how can we receive this gift of grace? We hear the scripture teaches us what the means of our justification is. Three times in, in verses 22 through 25 and 26, Paul shows us the means, or shows us the way that we can lay our hands on this grace. It is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Verse 22. And then in verse 25, it is to be received, this grace is to be received by faith. And then finally, in verse 26, we see that God does not justify every sinner, but he is only the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As I mentioned before, we are all sinners and fully deserving of God's just condemnation for our sins. And judgment day is coming when we will all face the holy divine judge who will pour out his anger against us, uh, uh, against our sins. But we can escape his condemnation on that day under one condition, if we have faith in Jesus. If we trust that when, he, when Christ suffered on the cross, that he paid the price for our sins there. We're not saved on the basis of our faith. We're saved by the finished work of Christ. But faith is the means, or faith is the instrument that links us to the salvation that Christ provided for us. So our faith is not a work. It's not something we do. As Francis Schaeffer said, our faith is the empty hands that accept the gift of salvation. After Louis Zamperini was rescued from that POW camp in Japan and then returned home to the United States after the war, it took only a few years for him to realize that he was still imprisoned. He was still imprisoned. He was having a very hard time with life. He was tormented and traumatized by his memories of the war, what happened to him there, like so many were. He didn't know how to deal with it. He, he did get married, which brought him joy, but he didn't know how to be married. He didn't know how to care for a wife. His wife was ready to leave him. His marriage was falling apart. He was having terrible nightmares. He was, he was having lots of trouble sleeping, which, of course, can just wreak havoc. Uh, on you and on your body. He had a really hard time with anger, which often resulted in violent outbursts. He tried to deal with the struggles the way so many people do even today by trying to drown it with alcohol. But in the fall of 1949, an evangelist came to Los Angeles where Louis was living at the time, and Louis's wife was invited to go hear this evangelist named Billy Graham, and she came back from um, hearing him preach and begged Louie to come with her to go hear him the next night. Louie did not want to have anything to do with that. But, as wives so graciously do, she continued to plead. She continued to bring it up. She continued to ask him 
And so he eventually gave in just to get his wife to stop nagging him. He went, and he did not like at all what he heard. And he went home angry that night. He was told there that he was a sinner. He was told there that he really wasn't a good man. And he said, I am a good man. No one tells me I'm not a good man. He disagreed with what he heard. But his wife said, let's go back again tomorrow night. And he did not want to go. He did not want to go. And of course, eventually gave in to go, but had the plan. As soon as he's done talking and as soon as they start playing the music for the invitation, we're gone. We're out of there. I'm not sitting through that again. But this time, as he heard the gospel being proclaimed, something happened within him. Something changed in his heart. And the Lord reminded him, brought to his, his mind how he had been spared from dying on the ocean. He had been spared from dying those two long years in the POW camp. He realized that he actually believed now what he was hearing being preached. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he deserved hell. But as he was told, God had sent his son to save him. That his son had died in his place. That Christ had saved him when he died and rose again. And now Louis knew that he was a new creation. He wanted now to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. And he did. And he went home that night and he dumped out all of his liquor and beer bottles down the drain and he threw away his stash of pornographic magazines and he began to read the Bible every day. And finally, finally, he truly felt free. So is that something that you have experienced? Have you experienced a similar thing of realizing your only hope is in Christ and that because of what Christ has done you can be forgiven you can be declared righteous before God you can be set free you can have the hope and the certainty of eternal life when you face God in judgment rather than being condemned or when you face him on that day which you will face him will you point to yourself Will you point to something that you have done, something that, that you are resting your hope in to be justified on that day? Or will you point to Christ, to something that God has done through him as your only hope? Humble yourselves, confess that you are a sinner, and come to the Lord today with empty hands to accept the gift of salvation that he is offering you through Christ alone. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, um, we pray that you would truly help each one of us here. Lord, I, we pray that, that you would work in our hearts, that we would be convinced and know for certain there is no hope in ourselves, anything, anything we can do. 
It's all in Christ alone. And may we confess with the hymn writer, I bless the Christ of God. I rest on love divine and with unfaltering lip and heart I call this Savior mine. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.